0: I'm Alex Mozed, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. You may notice that we have a different setup today, and if you can guess in the game of where in the continental United States is Alex, if you can guess direct correctly in the comments, we will give you some sort of a uh, platform monopoly prize. We'll figure that out, but, uh, but guess away which state I am in. You'll know it's not New York or Connecticut. And let's see, whoever gets it right, one guess per, per, uh, per comment or per, per user in the, on the YouTube comments here. So the first thing we want to dive into, and we're going to, you know, there's, there's some kind of recent activity against this, but, but before I jump into that, you know, a classic platform strategy that you see uh, many tech monopolies and up-and-coming platforms uh, employ is what we call a marquee strategy. Uh, this was in the book, and we talk about it as a single or double-sided marquee strategy. Uh, we've got a little uh, blurb on it here on our uh, on our blog. It's a part of kind of how to solve the chicken and egg problem. Seven strategies for solving that chicken and egg problem, and you know, how do you get do I get a consumer or do I get a producer? Which one comes first? And that problem for platforms repeats itself time and time again. Can, as you hit different levels of, of scale then you need to either get more demand or more supply. and it's the, it, the the problem just continues to repeat itself until you hit that point of critical mass and then and then the network effects start to work for you rather than against you. But until that point, you have an uphill battle. And so this is a classic strategy. We've seen multiple um, multiple either platforms or multiple what, what I would call kind of like linear products or um, you know, uh, not platforms that are trying to become platforms. Use this strategy. High value users will help you attract other users who want to interact with them. Their participation on your platform brings extra value to your ecosystem. So many platforms will make specific efforts to subsidize the participation of these high value users. A couple examples we have in the post this is from now years ago Uber launching in Seattle and then hiring out um, its own drivers because they couldn't get drivers to participate on their own. Or dating websites. This is a really good one where they would wanna try and get uh, women on the dating platform like uh, Tinder, or we have an example here, Coffee Meets Bagel. I don't even know if that's still around, but um, basically they would go and try and, and get women to onboard first. Or I remember strategies of some of these um, dating apps going to sororities on college campuses and like buying them pizza and bagels or something like that uh, to to get the sororities to use the app. And then they can launch the app openly and then all the guys want to join. Uh, Facebook, everyone probably knows this one, going to Ivy League schools and then getting them on board and then letting other, uh, the non-Ivy's uh, participate. So what we're seeing a few more recent examples is Spotify. So um, we'd spoken about Spotify signing up Joe Rogan for a hundred plus million dollars And Joe Rogan moving all of his YouTube stuff over to Spotify. We've spoken for months now about Spotify's aspirations to uh, embrace the podcast platform model. Where Spotify today is really not a platform because all of the music supply is controlled by basically four companies, the music labels. And they wanted to move into more fragmented supply. That's where you can actually get these platform dynamics Get capture that fragmented supply, which exists in podcasts like this one, where you have millions of user-generated content creators, right? Where music is is actually very aggregated and consolidated. So uh, just in the past week or so, we've had news about Spotify signing with uh, Warner Brothers and DC Comics. Basically, they're going to get original podcast content around comics. And that's going to come to Spotify exclusively. So you can see this as a marquee strategy to say, hey, I'm going to get really valuable creators, really valuable supply side, you know, kind of celebrity podcasters, whether it's Joe Rogan, whether it's DC Comics and and comic book content. Um, And now there's also news about uh, this is... uh, Preceded that DC Comics news by a few days, Kim Kardashian West, uh, basically Kim Kardashian is coming on to to Spotify. So you can kind of see Spotify. We predicted this on the show that the Joe Rogan deal was one of many to come. You can rewind the tape on that and look it up. Uh, but th- this was a strategy that Spotify was looking to employ. And, you know, if they're spending 100 plus million dollars on Joe Rogan, it's pretty obvious to me at the time that they aren't just going to get one of these kind of very high value creators. They, they want to get multiple that hit um, a certain kind of content genre in the podcasting world. So they have a kind of key marquee supply side strategy here. And now, what's that going to do? That's going to help attract more demand, more consumers, more people that now want to listen to you know these podcasts or want to say sign up for Spotify as opposed to Apple, uh, Apple Music, and you can't get this content on Apple Music or you know that's really one of you know Spotify's main competitors here. Um, so how are they kind of differentiating against their competitor in Apple Music? Ah, we're gonna go get these key marquee supply side kind of celebrity users. I think this is a smart strategy. I think this is gonna work well for Spotify because they're able to channel so much demand to these users with their existing install base. And that brings us to the next uh, example here, which is not working so well, which is Microsoft's Mixer. So we'd spoken also in the past about how this is uh, Microsoft's competitor to Twitch, which is owned by Amazon. And so Microsoft's shutting this down. This really came out of the blue. We saw, again, Microsoft sign up Ninja one of the biggest video game live streamers. And and that was a big hullabaloo where Twitch was not happy about Ninja leaving. Ninja jumped ship, went to Microsoft. Microsoft was paying him a bunch of money. And um, there's this whole there's this whole kind of hullabaloo between ninja and Twitch where Ninja said, well, you know, hey Twitch, you know, my page is still up on Twitch. I've left Twitch, but my page is still up and now you're, they were showing like pornographic ads um, on Ninja's Twitch profile, which Ninja wasn't happy about. You know, he has a lot of younger um, audience and, 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 and followers, right? So he wasn't happy about that. And it was a, it, it was a nasty uh, separation there. So I'd be curious to see where Ninja decides to go now, you know, basically, you know, hear their Twitter feeds where they say, I, I need to reflect, I need to take some time. I love my community and what we built together on Mixer. I have some decisions to make, and will be thinking about you all as I make them. Shroud, another top gamer, uh, which which Mixer um, also brought over, part of this Marquee strategy approach. I appreciate the Mixer community and everything I've been able to do on the platform. I love you guys, and I'm figuring out my next steps. Kind of seems like they were a little surprised by the decision too. If they don't really know what to do, right? They don't really have a plan. They they I feel like. We're kind of a little surprised by this um, also given some of these responses. But, you know, why did this fail? Ultimately, you know, the response from Microsoft is that it just Mixer wasn't getting enough uh, viewers and it wasn't it just it wasn't getting that uptick. It wasn't getting that adoption that they wanted to see. So they decided to shutter it. And now they're actually like partnering with Facebook Gaming. I don't know. That's all kinds of weird microsoft and facebook partnering up i don't know i guess amazon's the big bad enemy uh for the for both of them but um anyway i think one of the reasons here is that um that microsoft really didn't have although you would think they would massive tech monopoly they didn't have as much kind of of that install base right if you look at spotify um, hundreds of millions of users using the Spotify main app right now. Within a couple clicks, I can navigate to Joe Rogan content, Kim Kardashian content, this DC Comics stuff, and 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 you're going to be able to have much easier adoption. Now, this stuff hasn't launched on Spotify yet, so um, it has. It, this isn't actually actually working and in place, but I think that that strategy will work because it's able to leverage their existing demand base that they have currently on the Spotify app. If you think about Mixer, it's a completely new app. It was a completely new experience. Yes, Microsoft has this thing called the Xbox, but I use Xbox and it it wasn't heavily advertised, right? Like Mixer wasn't put on my home screen page on the Xbox saying, hey, Alex, Ninja's live streaming right now on Mixer. Open up the Mixer app and watch Ninja live stream, right? Like, they didn't have that deep integration where yes, they do have millions and millions of people using the Xbox, but they didn't have millions and millions of people using Mixer. So, you know, again, that chicken and egg problem, Microsoft Mixer went boom, heavy on the supply side, they didn't really have much demand to help jumpstart it, right? Where where now you've got a lot of people already using Mixer. Now they're watching Ninja and now they're like, whoa, sharing it with all their friends and saying, hey guys, you got to come watch Ninja on Mixer and get it, right? To kind of get that virality, get that network effect. Now you have some demand, they're watching supply. Now those users are helping spread the message to get other users also on Mixer. You re- never really got that flywheel going. Um, and I think that's really where, where Microsoft's big, big challenge was, clearly, was on the demand side. They weren't able to crack that nut. I don't think they really did a great job of integrating it as deeply as they could have into the other Microsoft experiences, namely Xbox. There's other rumors in this article here, sources familiar, you know, that Facebook tried to negotiate uh, to keep Shroud and Ninja um, off of Twitch, for example, and, and be able to come on Facebook gaming. You know, clearly, I don't know, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. Um, and this, you know, is a hard transition, right? It's a hard transition off of Twitch. Now it's kind of a hard transition off of Mixer. Uh, we will, you know, we will have to see what happens with that. The other example of this that we've seen with, uh, with this marquee strategy is Epic Game Store. Epic Game Store, we've talked about a lot of times on the show going up against Valve. This is to to buy video games on the PC so valve had a pc has a pc game store pretty much the only uh game so to speak in town it's really the only game store around the dominant one pre-epic epics game store epic is the maker of fortnite partially owned by uh, tencent epic um, launched a game store and what they did is they contracted with the key game creators similar strategy here i'm going to get the top game creators to exclusively distribute their games on the PC through the Epic Game Store, which means it's not the not going through the Valve Game Store, which is a huge win for them, considering that they were going up against a very uh, strong, you know, incumbent uh, marketplace with with Valve. So, you know, a couple examples of where we've seen the, this marquee strategy work, not work, um, and and maybe why it didn't work. Last topic for today is. You know, I spoke, I think maybe on the last episode about cancel culture, not being able to work on tech monopolies. Why can't cancel culture work on tech monopolies? Because they are monopolies, which means that they are immune to like a strike, right? So let's say you're a labor union and you're going to strike, right? All the workers aren't going to go to the, to the company factory anymore, or they're not going to go work at the Walmart store anymore, Right. You get all the workers to say, we're not going to go into work today. And now you bring that company to the negotiating table. Um, When you want to strike on these tech monopolies, not platforms that are still scaling, but a platform that has reached monopoly status, right? Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Apple, and a few others now. It doesn't work because, for example, the supply side is so vast and so big, you can never get enough of the supply to all agree to simultaneously strike, right? You can't get all the Amazon sellers to say, yeah, we all hate you, Amazon. You need to lower your fees. We're not going to sell on Amazon anymore because no, you're never going to get everyone to do that, right? Some people might say, yeah, 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 I'll do it. And then they keep selling and then they make a lot more money because all their competition, the other third-party sellers stopped using Amazon, right? Um, you're not going to get all the Uber drivers to stop driving on Uber. Um, you might be able to try. And actually there have been a lot of attempts at this because Uber, Uber's network is, is hyper localized, right? You could try and go after a population of drivers in a certain city or, or region, right? Even that, even those attempts have not been successful. It was the Californian, Um, lawmakers that were able to actually put regulation on uber um, which was done on uber and a bunch of other gig economy platforms and that law ab5 is absolutely horrible and doesn't even solve the biggest gripes of the uber drivers and producers anyway i I digress um the point is you can never capture enough demand that's going to strike or enough supply that's going to strike to prove your point it's a monopoly. That's the whole point. It has monopolistic power, which means that cancel culture will also not work on the tech monopolies, right? In the sense that you're not going to get Facebook to bend the knee because you have these advertisers saying that we're not going to advertise. So now Patagonia, uh, North Face, and REI have all said, I, I don't know, it's, it's a... It's opaque in terms of exactly what they're saying they're not going to do. This article says uh, some of them are not going to advertise for the month of July. It seems a little short lived, right? Like you're going to strike. You got to strike until you get what you want, right? You can't just say, I'm only going to strike, but I'm going to strike for a month. Yeah, it doesn't seem that threatening to me. And uh, by the way, these are like outdoor, I don't know, North Face, it's summer. I don't know. I mean, yeah, they sell outdoor stuff too, but. I think of North Face, I buy coats in the winter. The not surprisingly, what this article goes on to say is that these ad agencies uh, are, are promoting their, their brands to stop advertising. And, and look, <clears throat> um, let's be honest, ad agencies hate Facebook and they hate Google. Why? Because Facebook and Google are making these ad agencies continuously irrelevant. Because why do I need to pay an ad agency? You know, if you look at the ad agency business model over the past few decades, it's been destroyed. The way the ad agency business model used to be, it was, be- it was a thing of beauty. They would take a percent of the spend that, the, that that ad agency is deploying for you, right? So if the ad agency makes a killer commercial, it was in the Mad Men days, right? You, all these ad agencies, they have all these really great creative ideas. They pitch the brand on it. And then the commercial does well. And then the brand says, oh, this commercial did really well. I want to dump another $200 million into this campaign. Well, now, I don't know what the rates were. Maybe the ad agency was taking like, honestly, maybe up to 10% of the spend. So $200 million campaign, ad agency gets $20 million. They're not doing $20 million worth of work. I can tell you that much. Beautiful business model. It's kind of like a take rate, like a platform take rate, right? You take a percent of the throughput. Beautiful. Well, that business model got destroyed because Facebook and Google now command such a large amount of advertising uh, you know, throughput that they have all these self-service tools. and, and the act of creating, you know creative uh, images and copy and ads, it's much more commoditized now. So these ad agencies aren't able to command the same rates as what they're used to able to command, which means their margins are getting destroyed, their revenue is getting destroyed. There's more consolidation in the industry. Uh, basically, it's a, it's a tough business, These ad this ad agency business. So they all the ad agencies, just like all the newspapers, they all hate, some secretly, some not so secretly, they all hate, and yes, I'm, I mean hate, uh, Facebook and Google. Facebook and Google have single-handedly killed both of those industries' business models. So when you have ad agencies going to their clients, like this one, 360i, an agency within the Dentsu Aegis Network, by the way, 360i, there's like 100 360is. This Dentsu Aegis network, there's four big ad agency conglomerates. They all own like 100 different ad agency little brands that all compete with each other. So this isn't like you have Omnicom or IPG, Interpublic Group, You know, at the corporate, at the holding company level saying all of our clients should stop advertising on Facebook and Google. See. Deep down, I guarantee you, all those execu- executives wish they could say that and wish they could lead a revolt against Facebook and Google, but they can't. So you have, you know, kind of a subset of a subset. This small agency—I don't know, relatively small agency here, relative to the rest of the industry—saying, "Hey, clients, you should consider, you know, reconsider advertising on Facebook." There's a conflict here, given the dynamics I'm talking about, where these ad agencies would love to kind of poke the beast that is Facebook and try and hurt them. Problem is you're never going to get enough advertisers to say, yeah, I'm going to shut off Facebook, right? Or I'm going to go and shut off my Google ads. Google, we spoke about, you know, taking advantage of websites uh, um, last week as well. So unfortunately, again, we're back at the same crossroads, which is what can you do to influence these tech monopolies decisions, you know, if you believe that they are wrong or you know overstepping boundaries, and you have both sides of the political spectrum wrestling with this same uh, question, and the answer is only regulation is the way to actually truly affect some kind of external change upon the tech monopolies. Now, how do you get the regulation in, and what what should the regulation be? We've spoken about that on the show a bunch. Um, But the point is this kind of stuff, these like mini strikes, they're not going to move the needle. Is this going to make an impact on Facebook's earnings? No, not at all. There'll be a bunch of other advertisers that can step in here and fill the void. Even if there was a void, I don't think these guys are, you know, a material amount of advertisers anyway. But um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, this stuff will continue, but it, It just doesn't work against the tech monopolies. So uh, that's it for us today on Winner Take All. Thanks for joining us. I will talk to you soon.